From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guy. Welcome to Cork Cup. In this episode, we sit down with Carolyn Carrick and Meg Tipton of Dobbs Day Vineyards in Troutman, North Carolina. Caroline is one of the owners of the vineyard and came to the business just before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Meg is the winemaker and joined in the fall of 2020. Both of them have brought a renewed sense of energy to the vineyard and winery, and you can clearly see and feel the changes they are bringing. Wine Class with the Wine Mounds is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talked to us about the compound, Diacetyl. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, so we are here today with Caroline Carrick and Meg Tipton at Davis Day Vineyards. Caroline and Meg, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us. So uh, we usually start with having folks introduce themselves to our listeners. So uh, Caroline, maybe if you want to go first and tell everyone who you are and what you you do here at Davis Day. Sure. So my name's Caroline, um, and I've been involved with the vineyard since 2019. I'm part of the ownership team, and my husband and I bought into the business at that time. And we've been on an interesting journey through COVID and frosts and all sorts of things up to now where um, we're looking forward to some exciting new plans here. Excellent. And Meg, tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Meg Tipton, and I'm the winemaker here at Davis Day. Um, I have been here since um, September of 2020. which was an interesting first year to be working here with the frost and um, COVID. And as Caroline said, um, there were several challenges. But um, my background, um, I come from the Finger Lakes region of New York. Um, I like to say that um, winemaking is my second career, but my first love. And um, so I entered into winemaking um, in my 40s. Um, when uh, we had been living outside of the United States and we um, moved to the Finger Lakes region and um, my children, who are are twins, um, were heading into kindergarten and uh, I had some time on my hands. So I went to a a program that's very similar to the one at Surrey here uh, at the Finger Lakes Community College. Um, Got a degree in winemaking and, and viticulture. And um, that started my journey. Uh, I worked several harvests in uh, New York, and um, then my family moved to North Carolina. Um, And like I said, I've been here since 2020, and so this will be my third harvest coming up. Very cool. Well, it's exciting to see. I mean, you all came in at a very interesting time because 2019 was a one of those Goldilocks vintages, and then moving into the past couple years, like you said, Caroline pandemic, frosts, we had our, our, our fair share of challenges, so lots to look forward to. We can only go up from here, we hope. We hope so. That's right. Yeah. So you guys have suggested something a little different that we haven't done before in recording episodes of Corp Talk, so you want us to taste through some wines as we talk, so we're all, all about that. So Yeah, I just I just want your listeners to know that we really had to twist your arms. There was so much resistance. It was very like, difficult. To we convinced that. you guys, and I appreciate you being altruistic over this. Well, we tried. So, so talk to us about this first wine that we have in our glasses, and why do we have this wine? I love that. I love that question. This is a very special historical wine for us. It's Meg's first wine with our winery. And really, Meg, why don't you introduce the wine and the the interesting process from picking the grapes to bottle that you had to go through? Sure. So like I said, I joined the winery in September of 2020. And if there are any winemakers listening, there are probably alarm bells going off when they hear, oh my gosh, you joined the winery at harvest. 
and so you know, I was getting my feet under me. We had a, a frost event that had um, severely impacted our crop, um, but we were able to get a small amount of chambersen from our estate, and I decided to turn it all into rosé, dry rosé. So what you have in front of you is the 2020 dry rosé of chambersen grown and made right here on our estate. And like Caroline said, it is my first wine from start to finish without a stay and um, it just makes me feel happy to drink this wine even though it's becoming a rarity it's sold yes. out long sold out but we had a bottle long sold out I had to you know reach into my own personal stash for this one but it's it's such a special wine in terms of how Meg and I and the whole management team came together with it um, because it was her first wine we learned a lot about wine her mix, winemaking style, her approach, her adventurousness. We, she really had to kind of work on the fly with this one. Again, it was not a normal harvest. Um, we didn't harvest our other two varieties that we grow on site, actually, at that harvest. And so with a small batch, it was Meg's idea. Well, how about I try and make a rosé with this? And I understand there were challenges with that because with Chamberson, you know, it has issues with, like, Color and things maybe you can explain. Well, it, it's it's a type of grape called a tenturier. So it, it the juice is red, and um, it is a, a very deep color. So as I was making this wine, I, I I sort of had in my mind that I wanted something like you know sort of light pink, and for the longest time it was not light pink. And so you know I showed it to Caroline one day and I said. I'm not sure, you know, I, it's going to get lighter, but it's not, I don't know, it's going to be like, you know, really light. And, um, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, we went through the process and finished the wine and it dropped out a little bit of color, which for some winemakers, that's a bad thing. But it, in this case, for me, it was a good thing because I, I wanted it to look exactly like it does. <laughs> it was a It was a challenging year and it was a challenging varietal to work with and I don't think that we had had a rosé dry rosé of Chamberson before this so it was was new for our winery so there were a lot of unknowns about it we just didn't know you know and I I I, for the longest time only had this wine in my cellar for a few weeks and so I was just babying it you know I was I had time to really just baby this wine and so I'm, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. And even a year later, it's tasting very fresh and, yes. and lovely. Yes. I totally agree with that. The first sample Meg gave me when she was working on it, she gave me a little glass sample bottle, and it said dry rose yay on it with exclamation <laughs> points. And I was like, all right, I know this is going well. And I poured it. It wasn't filtered. It wasn't, you know, this was, this yeah. was part of the process, which is one of my favorite things about being involved in this business is, you get to experience the development and the changes of the wine before it comes to bottle and comes to your customers. Like it's this whole like spiritual evolutionary experience. So she gave me the first sample and I just remember pouring it into the glass and raising it up and taking that amazing breathing. I mean, the fragrance on this is just gorgeous. Chamberson is very fragrant. I really love working with this grape. And I was, I thought, all right, this is going to be a good one. I'm happy about this. And, uh, you know, I, the next thing that happened, we were we were using social media a little bit more at that point than we had been historically, especially before I got involved with the vineyard, where really the previous owners and our, our current business partners weren't that into the website and things like that. And I trialed it on social media. I'm like, hey, you were, you know, what do you think of a rosé from us? And it, it was just amazing, the response. I mean, really... Our customers wanted this. They wanted a dry rosé. We were so excited to do it for the first time. I can't wait to do it again this year. The crop is looking really good. So we're going to make definitely a larger batch than than the, I think we had like 54 cases of this. So it was really limited. Well, I guess it, you nailed the color on it. I mean, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Sometimes with Chambers and Rosés, they're like a vibrant pink, like a yeah. neon pink. This is a great color. It's like that light salmon, very classic when you think of it. It matches your shirt very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think you find that. 
So, Meg, you told us that winemaking was kind of like your second career but first passion. Yeah. So, Caroline, how did you decide to get into the wine business? So we heard about Meg's background. Oh, gosh. You know, because you guys interview people who enter into this business, maybe they either start vineyards and wineries or they buy into them, I'm sure... I'm sure you get all kinds of stories, and mine really starts in Scotland. My husband and I lived in Scotland for 10 years. Um, He's Scottish, and we got married there. He previously owned a whiskey distillery, the oldest licensed whiskey distillery in Scotland. And so we, we knew something about shall we say, you know, the recreational beverage industry. <laughs> uh, not winemaking, but winemaking was something I was always really interested in and drawn to. And then we made a plan to move to the USA. And my husband decided that North Carolina was the best place to live in the USA. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean, he did an analysis. It was like, this region where we sit right now is like... Number one, it's just the best. It has everything. It's got four seasons climate. You've got mountains, ocean, accessible. You can grow wine here. All sorts of wonderful things. Um, So we made a plan to move here after he sold his business there. And we moved to basically the greater Troutman region. We're in Troutman right now. We had been coming here for vacations for a long time, and we knew the DeFairs who founded this business. Este and David DeFair started this as a retirement project uh, over 15 years ago. It was 2005. And we were friendly with them. We'd been coming to this vineyard for a long time as guests, and we were in love with this place. I mean, they had carefully amalgamated pieces of land, which in total is 60 acres. It's quite quite a large um, land holding they have here. In the middle of Troutman, just a couple miles from the 77, you know, the major road that runs north from Charlotte, and it's just such a haven. I mean, you you come here and you sit outside and you hear birdsong and you see the waterfall and you don't think about the traffic and the stress and all yes, that stuff. Yes, yes, It's It's a magical, like, it just detangles all your worries here. It's a lovely spot. And we, we were in love with this place, basically, before we had anything to do with it. So Dave DeFair came and approached us one evening and said, you know, Este and I, were, we're looking to retire. And we know you sold your business in UK, would you be interested in buying this place? And my husband and I, who are usually fairly judicious and measured and reasonable, and would talk to each other privately before <laughs> agreeing to anything, like didn't even blink. And both of us were like, yes. <laughs> and Colin's like, tell us more. I mean, we were just like, bring it on. We loved it here. They've done so much wonderful work because they planted the vines. They went through all the trials and tribulations of discovering what would grow well here. Um, and they built up the facility. So we were coming in with, you know, a business mentality, the experience with the whiskey distillery, um, more experience with websites and social media and things that they weren't so interested in. And so we came up with a, a purchasing agreement over a period of time so they could retire in phases. And that kicked off in late 2019, which again was, I mean, it was all great back in late 2019. Early 2020, we were like, oh, okay. (laughs) We actually can't even operate. So uh, this is interesting because we did have to close down. Like, but really, I mean, now that we're out the other side of it, I can tell you, like, yes, we had some challenging times, just like Meg was talking about in winemaking. But, boy, have we come out the other side of that. I mean, this place, we, are, we couldn't be happier that we got involved with it when we did. It's just been a total dream for us and a very family-friendly business and the perfect kind of mindful change from the hustle-bustle we, we had back in Scotland. You know, we were really really busy um, and hardworking back there and we're busy and hardworking now but we're doing it walking past vines and you know the kids are running around and it's it's a whole different world plus we're living in the best place in the America in case anyone needed to know that like my husband did an analysis this is the best place to live just so you I think I think everyone in America has heard because they're coming. I know right like everyone's catching up maybe they need to stay away a little more because we don't want all the traffic but I'm just saying like, they can come visit the vineyard exactly there yeah you go. exactly right yeah, that's the solution <laughs> well they can move to Charlotte and then they can come up this way and enjoy yeah they can exactly. have the haven experience yeah. yes exactly. I like that cheers to that little home away so Caroline you mentioned uh that 
the previous owners had planted, they did all the hard work, and then they um, did all the trials of what's going to grow well here at this site. Let's talk a little bit about what is actually in the vineyard. Well, we have um, three grape varieties growing here, and they all three grow really well for us. We have the great fragrant hybrid hero, Traminette, super popular with our customers, grows beautifully in this region. Uh, for a couple of years running, we had double golds at the state fair competition with our Traminette. And again, I mean, we, we've talked about the fact that a lot of NC growers are seeing a lot of fruit coming up in their vineyards, we see a good yield coming, hopefully. Should, should the weather remain, you know, cooperative? Should we knock on wood or yes, something? Yes, let's knock on wood or something. Yeah, the Traminette's looking good. Um, so that that's one of them. Uh, we grow Champerson, as, as we discussed. which And then the last variety is an Eastern European grape, which can be pronounced apparently a variety of ways. And I would like your feedback on this, because I've done a lot of research, and... It's either pronounced Bercazzatelli or Cazzatelli, depending on whom I speak to in terms of some people drop the R. We usually keep the R and we actually accentuate it. Like we usually say R Cazzatelli. That's, that's how they say it in the Finger Lakes. It, they say R Cazzatelli. Yeah. So there's yet a third yeah. pronunciation. Well, and I've been told by people in like the wine education realm that the official abbreviation or diminution is R Cats. So you say it like, like the R hard, so then those people do tend to say like R cats Italian. It's the they, pirate's grave. <laughs> the pirate's grave. We never thought about that. Like, we should put a little. That's sneaky, it, I love that. <laughs> we should put a little sneaky reference to you guys in the back of our label. Yeah, like this is how you say it. Um, so we yes, that's that's something that Dave DeFair wanted to grow because his grandfather was a vendor in the um, the Caucasus, Georgia, I believe, or in that region. And um, because his grandfather had grown that grape, he wanted to do it. And as far as I'm aware, it's a very widely grown grape in the, in the world, just not so much in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I think you're maybe one of a handful or a couple handfuls down on yeah, the East Coast that are growing. There are, that I know of, there are only two other growers on the East Coast. Which it's interesting because a lot of the regions where it flourishes are cold weather regions. Mm-hmm. But as we learned from versatile grapes, you know, they can be grown in different types of climates and then they just have a different kind of outcome. So that, that grape is growing really well for us. And that is, I don't know if this sounds too grandiose. It's like our claim to fame wine. It's our yes. most awarded you know, wine. It's the one that people know us for. And even though it's an unusual variety, it's not something a lot of Americans would go to a restaurant and ask for. It's, it's memorable. Um, my opinion, it's delicious, and maybe you guys would like to try some of our double gold because I have some here. There's the 2019 over there, and I think there's a 2021, and there's a Corvin over there if you want to open the 21, I think, or maybe she opened the 2019. Okay. This is all estate just to demonstrate Iredell County is on the right. We do like that you're very specific about that. So when you do make wines from like your estate harvested, you will call out Iredell County. Absolutely, yes, and we do. That's a sense of place, and I think it's yep, a great thing. For sure, for sure. You know, we're the first and only winery in Iredell County, so, you know, there's a sense of uniqueness about it. And I like what you say about a sense of place. And one of our big long-term goals is to work on, you know, we, we want to make exemplary North Carolina wine. We don't just want to make great wine from anywhere. We're not trying to buy grapes from California all the time or like some wineries, you know, fair play to them. Their their winemakers are actually based in other states, et cetera. We don't want to do that. That's not our angle. We want to make really excellent wine from North Carolina. So if it's from Iredell County and it's grown right here, that's what it's going to say on the bottle. So talk to us a little bit about the Arkansas We have it in our glass now. We're drinking it. So Meg, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? You know, it's kind of funny because when I worked in the Finger Lakes, I worked for a winemaker who, he and I had this, like, weird fascination with Georgian wines. Like, we didn't, it wasn't infrequently that we talked about Georgian wines. And 
you I know, did not know this. This is interesting. Yeah, like, so, you know, we talked about how in the traditional method of making ricazzatelli, it's done in um, a clay vessel called a quevery that is buried in the ground. And, um, you know, they put the grapes in there and fill it off and come back, you know, a few months later and, you know. That's the that is the historical way of making ricazzatelli. So, you know, I've had many conversations about quevery, and I've had many conversations about ricazzatelli. And so, when I came here to North Carolina, and I saw that the winery closest to where I was moving was growing ricazzatelli, I felt like this is all like part of you know this is this is. This is where I was supposed to be, you know? <laughs> and I still actually joke with Dave, our, our, our owner, about um, every now and then I tell him, you know, I'm just waiting for you to approve the budget for me to buy that quivery so I could, you know, like, <laughs> I was just gonna ask and, like, you know, do a small lot. And, and, and really that comes out being a completely different wine than what you have in front yeah. of you. I mean, sure. obviously skin contact, you're going to have tannins, the color's completely different. It's just a different animal altogether. However, I would be really interested in trying a small lot just to see what happens. We have the grapes. We should do it. So so I'm saying it on air (laughs) in front of Caroline. In hopes that one day I'll get a quivery. Anyway, um, so the wine you have in front of you was done more in the traditional um, way of processing white wine. It was fermented and aged in stainless steel. And so it has, you know, it has the freshness and the acid and, you know, very clean and crisp on the palate. And so, um, and this is a style that we have pursued with this wine traditionally as long as we've been growing it. Very cool. I agree. I, I mean, it's such, it, it is kind of a claim to fame. So I say own it, definitely take it <laughs> and say, this is what we, this is what we're known for. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, if you do the recovery, I mean, even more the better. I would love to do that because that's what, again, like our, you know, our long-term goals are really to, you know, make the best of real NC wine, NC terroir, um, totally own this region and, you know, celebrate it. But we also, especially because Meg is so passionate about what she's doing and so creative, we really want to do small batch, like boutique products once in a while so we'll you know you'll come here and you'll always be able to get let's say a Cabernet Sauvignon a Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris or you know and our Ricazzatelli our Ricazzatelli there will always be these standard offerings that people expect but we we would also like to do really cool unique small batch stuff uh, it's it's we've been talking about it for months and it's definitely part of part of our goals here is you know we, we want people to come here and be like wow, I've never tried this before. I really like it. What is it? Learn something about the wine. Learn something about their own taste. Um, be surprised. Be delighted. And I think this because we can do these this really hands-on small batch stuff, that will come over really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the size of our winery, we're, we're small enough that we, can, that we can do these things. So I'm really looking forward to trying some of the projects that we've been talking about. And uh, it sort of it sort of speaks a little bit to my winemaking style. Um, some of the things that Caroline has just said is small batch. So I am when I when I try something new, I'm not a um, you know uh, fire ready aim kind of person. I'm I'm very thoughtful. I'm very thoughtful. And Caroline and I have a lot of conversation about what's working well and what we'd like to explore and what we think the customer may like or be surprised by or learn something about wine that they didn't know. So we have this nimbleness that, if that's, is that a word? Yeah, that's a great word actually okay. for it. Yeah, I like that. We have this nimbleness. You can edit that out. No, <laughs> we have this nimbleness that allows us to do these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I think that we're really set up especially with our new production facility that's coming online here for this vintage. Um, we're really well set up to, to, to try some new things. Very cool. We need our cat pet nap. <gasps> he said he the said magic words. words. <laughs> I love that. 
So really, because that's exactly if you were here yesterday at this time, we were talking. I don't about... watched. I didn't see. That. Okay, <laughs> I wondered. I wondered. I wondered where you went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is maybe. That is. Something. I don't know if it'll be our cat, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't got that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't gotten that far yet, but it's definitely something that we want to try. Some one would be interesting too. Yeah. First on a small scale. Yeah, of course, of course. And then, you know, we'll scale up if it if it is you know well received. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or maybe we won't scale it up. Maybe we'll keep it small because, um, you know, yes, something that is unique and small batch, and it's meant to be that way. A small exclusive little one-time mm-hmm. offer. Yeah. yeah. Well, like she said, she likes to baby her wine. So there, I'm sure she will have her pet wines and maybe the pet nap. <laughs> you know, I would like that. I love a good sparkling wine. Yeah. So we're actually at a really good spot to take a quick little break for our education segment. But I think when we come back, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of those other ideas for projects that you have or more about the style. Or you also mentioned some of the growth. You mentioned there's a new building mm-hmm. right next door. So we'll pick up on some of that. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thanks for having us. So what fun thing are we learning about today? Today we're going to be talking about diacetyl. Oh, okay. okay. Tell us more. Yeah. So if you've heard about this one, uh, diacetyl is an organic compound and it has the chemical formula CH3CO and then there's two of them, which makes the, the name di. Uh, that prefix makes sense. So there's two of those groups. And it's a yellow liquid, and it has an intensely buttery flavor. And it technically belongs in the ketone family. But we're going to talk about it as its own standalone compound today because there's so much to talk about. Mm, okay. And it can occur naturally in alcoholic beverages, but also can be added as a flavoring to some foods to impart its telltale buttery flavor. Who doesn't so. love a little bit of butter? <laughs> I mean, people have been canceled for more. <laughs> Talk to Paula Dean. Oh, <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, so it's produced during fermentation. It's a byproduct of another synthesis, a product that happens. So that leads nicely into where it's found and what what category of flavor, if, if it's a primary, secondary, or tertiary flavor. Oh, so, so if it comes from the fermentation, that means it's secondary, right? All right, I got that one right. So this one is interesting, too, because it can come from fermentation, but we use fermentation loosely because it can come from both fermentations of a wine. So it can come from the original alcohol fermentation, but it mostly comes from the malolactic fermentation, which is technically not a true fermentation, but it comes from both of those processes. Interesting. Yeah, so, and that was new in my research. Most of the time we associate it coming from malolactic fermentation, but 0.2 to 0.3 milligrams per liter can be produced by the alcoholic fermentation of yeast. And then it's increased, obviously, with MLF. Hmm. So it's pronounced more in white wines, but it adds an aspect to red wines that's often used or described kind of as creamy or velvety. We often don't hear butter with red wines, but it's still there. So just for a refresher, malolactic fermentation is where a bacteria eats malic acid and turns it into lactic acid. So that's changing that harsh acid into one that's more creamy, both in aroma and texture. So not many white wines go through that process. And so that's one of the reasons we get such a different taste from this compound and aroma from red and white wines. Now, I guess that makes sense because you mentioned it's buttery. And like you said, I don't think I've ever had a buttery red, but I've definitely had like a silky, smooth, very full mouthfeel red. And that that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just something fun, I was looking at like the selection of yeast that can be used in winemaking. And Lalamon, probably saying that wrong, but it's one of the big yeast companies in in winemaking they did this project and they created this malolactic, they called it malolactic culture butter bomb. So (laughs) they've like made a malolactic bacteria for MLF that with the goal of creating this butter bomb. Hmm. 
Well, like, I mean, you know, butter does have a place in wine, so that, that's For sure. <laughs> Not in our uh, book, but definitely in all. <laughs> 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 no, I say in jest. <laughs> uh, there is definitely a time and a place for a butter bomb, for sure. Yeah, we definitely do like our buttery Chardonnays, for sure, so that, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, and that, it kind of blends right into, like, the aroma and taste and how it presents in wine, but... So the aroma threshold of um, diacetyl in wine is pretty low, so 0.3 to 2.3 milligrams per liter, and it's very dependent on the wine type, like we were talking about with red versus white. Um, And so with just, with a low amount, like one to four milligrams per liter, you get that buttery sense. And at that point, it's still considered desirable. Obviously, at some point, it can be too much, and you see that with wine across the board, a lot of these aroma compounds, it's like good, 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 good. And then you hit a threshold and it's just bad. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you don't really want like Orville Redenbacher's in your, in your wine (laughs) glass, but you know, a touch of like, you know, Kerrygold is okay. Yeah. Mm, For sure. I just Uh, recently uh, got on the butter train. Sorry, this is an aside, but like the real good Irish butter mm. and it really makes a difference. (laughs) <laughs> it does it so does. good butter bomb yeah <laughs> we had all the taste tests and everything my, my kids were eating straight butter and i was like no no you're supposed to put it on things not just like eat it like it's a slice of cheese <laughs> not that but i haven't they done that did before, not but... understand the assignment <laughs> <laughs> i mean what better way to taste it than just directly out of the uh, slice of yeah. it off the slab yeah but I so we know your children will want their buttery chardonnays one day i think they Oh, yeah. <laughs> have them do some sniff tests. Mm. I was just going to point out some tips for winemaking. A lot of, you know, a lot of the compounds we've talked about has a place in the vineyard and in winemaking too. But this, this compound pretty much is just happens in the winery and it can be manipulated by the winemaker. So a few things that can change the level in winemaking. So we talked about the strain. So picking a bacteria that's been cultivated for producing diacetyl, but also the timing. So you can do your alcoholic fermentation and malolactic fermentation at the same time, Mm. and that will give you lower diacetyl levels because the yeast kind of break down the bacteria a little more versus if you did your alcoholic fermentation and then after that did malolactic fermentation. So timing can affect the levels. Interesting. And then the length of it too. So, I mean, this one's kind of a duh, but the longer you go through malolactic fermentation, the higher your diacetyl levels would be. And then simple stuff like stirring. Stirring can affect it. So it kind of changes the oxidative environment. So the stirring will make it produce more. And now we've learned from the past that that's kind of batonage, right? Correct. Going back to, I think, maybe season two. Ooh la la. <laughs> Your memory is better than mine. <laughs> wee wee. <laughs> and then last, SO2. So SO2 binds to diacetyl like it does most flaws. So initially with SO2, the diacetyl levels will seem to disappear. But over time, the reaction reverses and the diacetyl will be released. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting for you can think it's good going into the bottle and it can change, you know, over time. So is this one of those compounds that with extended aging in a bottle, you know, the longer you have it on your shelf, the perhaps more intense it'll become? I think so. I can't say that with certainty, but... <laughs> like like all things with wine, there's an asterisk, right? Probably yes. in some cases, <laughs> but probably not in others. Yeah. Very cool. So how would we, um, how would we go about pairing this flavor? I think you'd have to go pretty classic. So we talked about butter bombs and, and butter flavors. So I'm thinking oak Chardonnay, and that really lends itself to seafood. So thinking like crab cakes, clams, um, creamy, buttery seafood dishes just really scream out to me here. You could also go pork or something more like starchy and creamy for vegetarians, even like a corn chowder maybe even could, could play nicely here. And mushrooms could stand against a nice buttery oak chardonnay, of course. Yeah, we actually had a pasta dish this evening with some, with the oaky chardonnay. So yeah, I can see that. It was garlicky and a little bit of lemon. Mm. So yeah, it worked out well. Nice. We had a nice pasta dish and we had run out of mozzarella cheese. So we cut up string cheese and put on top. So, you know, (laughs) different strikes for different parts. I guess it works. I mean, it's the same thing pretty much. So. (laughs) Yeah. 
how can I feed my screaming toddlers in a hurry? Were you out Jinky. of the carry gold? <laughs> uh, we had the carry gold, but you know, we did something a little different. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was trying to think of a good, yeah. a good closing for this one. Or is there anything else that you want to talk about with diacetyl? Think that or like is- triacetyl. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, this has been full of flavor. No. <laughs> A butter bomb. A buttery good time. Oh, this has been a buttery good time. <laughs> Jesse and Jessica. Well, butter me up and call me a biscuit. <laughs> but, wait, what is it? What's the thing? Butter my butt and call me a biscuit. Butter my right, wine yeah. and call me a call me a diacetyl. <laughs> I think we should quit while we're ahead. Well, Jesse and Jessica, thank you very much. We've definitely learned a lot about diacetyl, and we'll think about it next time we're having our own uh, our, a glass of Chardonnay. So, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Wine Mouths. That's W I N E M O U T H S. And now, back to the show. All right, so we're back with Caroline and Meg. So before we took our little break, we were mentioning some of the, the the new building next door. Let's start there, and then we'll see where that takes us. So talk to us about some of the improvements that you've been making here at Davos Day. Oh, Meg, I think that new building is your domain, honey. You describe it. You know everything that's going in there. It's our fabulous new winery. It, it really is, and, and it's such a privilege to be able to work in that environment. I, I'm really unbelievably grateful for the opportunity to um, be working in a new facility. I've never had that opportunity before. So, um, so yes, the building is, um, it's about 4,500 square feet, which is significantly larger than our current cellar. And we've been at capacity in our current cellar for, for a while now. And we've just kind of been making do and, you know, figuring it out. And uh, so, but we've outgrown it. Uh, we broke we broke ground last year, and um, the progress has been very steady. And in this environment, in this climate where everything's being delayed, and you know raw material raw materials are very scarce, we we've really been surprised at at how well it's going and how we've been able to stay on track. We will be open for the 2022 harvest. Um, in fact, we started moving some things over today. Oh, that's exciting! Um, which is really exciting. There aren't any tanks in there yet, but um, but that'll happen very soon. We've got some tanks that are about to be delivered. There's a very large barrel room that will allow us to really grow our barrel program. There will be a bottling line um, that's coming. I think it's being delivered next week, and uh, and that's very exciting. It's a it's a big bottling line. <laughs> it's a big bottling line that will allow us to significantly increase our volume and bottle right here on site. So that's great. What else can I tell you about that building? Sounds like there's plenty of room for a quivery. Yeah, you just can't bury a quivery in the ground there. But, you know, we have 60 acres, so we can figure it out. We can find a space. Yeah, we'll find a spot. I'm down with that. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so uh, the, the winery will be open for the 2022 harvest, and it's just super exciting. It's a really exciting time to be here at Dallas Day. Very cool. And that harvest will be here before we know it. It sure will. It's sure will. it's something that I um, that I had to get used to is that harvest here in North Carolina is much longer, starts earlier, and for the most part finishes up the same or maybe a little bit later than I'm used to. But it's 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 drawn out over many months, mm. and so um, I had to get used to that. But I actually like it now because things are a little bit more staggered instead of everything coming in on top of each other all at once. Oh, sure. Um, so it it allows me to pursue my thoughtfulness about my wines a little bit better. <laughs> but no ice wine here, unfortunately. No ice wine. <laughs> Not in North Carolina. <laughs> so you talked about expanding the wine, the winery here. They're planning to expand the vineyard as well. We have long-term plans to not short to medium. Uh, we've had two very difficult growing right. seasons prior to this year. And we're just a little cautious about pulling. Thankfully, this this looks like it'll be a great harvest for us. But 
expanding growth at this site in terms of the agricultural side. We've just been, but you know, we, we have a lot of partner growers who are purely agricultural growers. Right. They don't have winemaking facilities. We have good relationships. So that helps us bring grapes in from areas that may not be hit by the same weather problems we get hit by. Because as we all know, yeah. in North Carolina, there are all these kind of microclimates. Absolutely. Everywhere. It's amazing. So, great point. Yeah. So what's the current case production? What's your, what are you looking to get to? Meg? So uh, current case production is around 2,500 cases, and we have plans to grow that by 20% in the short term, very short term, and over the long term, you know, it's a little bit of a wait-and-see approach, but um, but our facility can handle um, up to 6,000 cases. Wow. We, you know. We're, we're a popular place to hang out and drink wine, guys. We need to scale up, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're planning for the for a, you know years of growth. So, so um, maybe let's pivot a minute and let's talk about all the events that you guys have. There's music, there's food trucks, there's all sorts of things that go on all the time here. Yeah, well, we again, right, right after my husband and I got involved in this business, that was late 2019, and then, you know, obviously with 2020, there was a lockdown and we couldn't have anyone here at all we did a kind of free delivery service within a certain area you know people were being really supportive and buying cases and we we looked at what we would do should we reopen and then when we were allowed to open again under the North Carolina rules we adapted to the way that our setup works we have a tasting room here on site it's a kind of rustic tasting room it's quite small but it does have some interior seating we adapted that so people could come in, buy their wine, and go outside. And we realized that we realized quite quickly that people considered this to be a safe place to come and hang out during the very uncertain times of COVID and like the early COVID days when really we had no idea if like touching the gas pump or your groceries were going to spread something. I mean, it was really hard times in terms of what we knew versus what we might be risking. So happily, you know, we, we adapted to that. None of our staff ever caught COVID from any other staff or customers. We had no spreader events, no issues at all. We just got, we had people coming in, buying wine and going outside and spreading out. And we started having live music every Saturday and Sunday afternoon because we figured, all right, well, we're becoming this like safe, cool place to hang out on the weekends. Let's give people entertainment. So they know it's here every weekend. and. We've kept that. I mean, it's, you know, a couple of years later, and now we're still the place where everyone's like, oh, it's a Saturday afternoon, you know, great weather. What do you feel like doing? Well, let's go to the vineyard. There's always live music every afternoon on the weekend. So that that's worked really well for us. And we piggybacked up, uh, we piggybacked on that a little bit by holding some larger events that are pre-ticketed festival style events. So we've had Oktoberfest here last October. That was our first big event. We had 2,000 people here. Um, and then we had a St. Patrick's Festival weekend as well this past March. We had a U2 tribute band come, and we had Irish-themed food, etc. We actually dyed our waterfall green with the eco-friendly, you know, food coloring type stuff. Uh, we, we really pulled out all the stops, and it was really fun. Um, so we're, we're planning to have, we're planning to keep a couple of those types of large-scale events going every year. We're not going to have them, like, every weekend or anything like that, but... We like the idea of having maybe two or three larger festivals a year um, with controlled numbers, you know, stopping it at about 2,000. And some, I feel like Norman Orchestra usually comes and does a concert at least once or twice a year, right? Yeah, we, we recently had the Lake Norman Orchestra here. Um, previously, they would come once a year. That did stop during. We have charcuterie board classes, candle making classes, sip and paint. Uh, we have, I'm actually working with a couple of charities on a new model for like Thursday evening fundraiser events. Oh, nice. Yeah. We, I'm involved with Lake Norman Humane. I'm a big animal lover and we're trialing that model with them next month. We're going to be having like a concert event where we sell tickets in advance. People come, they, you know, get a voucher for wine, et cetera. And, you know, we can help raise money for a good cause and use the vineyard on an evening that's usually somewhat quiet. I mean, we have we have customers here on Thursday evenings, but it's not our peak time, so we're thinking that would be a great time. So I think we have one more wine you guys wanted us to move to. So I was just going to mention that because I thought 
I'm going to have to beg them to drink it, you know, <laughs> they're so reluctant, right? Our next Pinot Grigio. So tell us a little bit about this wine then. So this wine is, the, is from the 2021 vintage and was bottled very recently. So uh, this, the grapes for this were harvested just south of um, Yadkin Valley. They were harvested in the second week of August, um, which again, surprised me that things get harvested in the second week of August, but welcome to winemaking in North Carolina. My goal for this was to make a really approachable, light summer sipper that you could pair with a wide variety of foods. It doesn't have any barrel influence on it. Um, it's purely stainless steel, and it's just meant to be a nice quaffer for the summer. And that perfectly describes its wine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fresh and fruity. It has a yeah. lot of good acidity to it. Really good character. Yeah, I love the aromas on this. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's really floral, and it's got some nice sort of tangerine and a little bit of peach on the nose. I, I really like the way this turned out, and... You know, it starts with exceptional fruit. So this the the grower did an amazing job with this fruit, and you know, it it is it is what it wanted to be. I'm I'm glad that we were able to make it into something that I think is going to be very widely received. What I like about this wine in particular is it's wonderful when you can deliver a wine from North Carolina grapes, total NC, grown and made. But it's varietally what people are looking for, right. even if they're used at other regions. Because mm -hmm. what we want is people to come into our tasting room and drink a North Carolina North Carolina wine, whether they've had one before or not, mm -hmm. and think, wow, this is delicious. It meets or exceeds my expectations. As opposed to like, this tastes nothing like what I expect from a Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio. You know, it, it's I love how this brings together this state, what this state can deliver and what people want and what they expect from this variety. That's why I'm really excited about this particular one. I think this will be a... Oh yeah, I'm sure that since this summer it's mm -hmm. going to fly off the hills. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. I mean, like you said, it's going to pair with a variety of foods, such as like a fresh salad or something even like fish from the group. So let's back up just a little bit. Um, before we were, you know, getting all set up here and everything like that, we were talking about how we're recording this in May and it's an exceptionally warm day. And then how last year at this time, we had a major, major frost event. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that, you know, climate change has presented for both working with the vineyard and also making the wines that you get from the fruit when we are able to get the fruit. Yeah, so, you know, sort of dovetailing off of what Caroline mentioned earlier, grape growing in North Carolina is not for the faint of heart. We do experience these really dramatic shifts in temperature that really impact what we do. You know, we've had one year, like you said, where we had very cold temperatures and then we're sitting here at 95 degrees wondering how this could possibly happen. And climate change is a very real thing and it will impact our industry in countless ways. You know, we're hearing about the impacts of climate change in, you know, very established wine regions that are, are facing some of the same issues that we are with cold damage. And I think it's, you know, something that we have to learn to live with in terms of winemaking. It is not something that we need to learn to live with in terms of climate change and, and the effect on our planet. Well, the, the first harvest here was over 15 years ago. And yet last year's harvest and the harvest before were destroyed by frost. And it just so happened, actually, one of those years, my family, you know, myself included, were living here at the vineyard. We had, we, as part of our moving plan, because as I've announced to all of you, this is the best place in the world to live. Um, <laughs> we found this dream house project. We were renovating it. Everything was going great. We moved all our stuff in. And this was early, it was January 2020. So it was just before, you know, everyone's worst year ever. And then the house burned down. It caught fire. While we were away, no one was in it. And we were left with nothing except for the suitcases that we had with us oh, at the time. Wow. Saw that happen. And thanks. It was, um, it was difficult. And again, we'd only been involved in this business for a few months at that point. So it was a difficult time. And the best decision I could have ever made was when the insurance company was trying to help us find somewhere to stay. They're like, 
We can find you rental properties, etc. I said, I'm too stressed. I'm too, I feel displaced, confused. I want to go where I feel like I'm at home. And there's only one other place I can think of now that my home is gone. And it was this vineyard. There's a rental house on this property that was purchased as part of the original amalgamation. And it was vacant. It was just like serendipity. It was vacant at the time. And I said to my husband, let's move there. It wasn't even really furnished. Quite small for a family of five. Absolutely fine. I was like, that's it. That's where we need to go. And we moved into there just before lockdown. And I will tell you, if you have three children being locked down with unlimited wine and walking distance, <laughs> it's like probably the best case scenario. Um, I called it adult recess while I was homeschooling. And I'm like, juice. yeah, I'm just going to go check out on the barrel room and sample some things. No, it was, it was just, but really, you know, I talked earlier about what a haven this place is. And the reason I say that maybe is because it was for us. I mean, we, we had to heal from a very traumatic experience as a family and during a really crazy time for the whole nation, really the world. And we were here while we were doing that. And the reason I'm reminded of this whole story and I'm sharing it with you is because for the months that we lived here, we were here for over six months, I watched the vines change. And, you know, I would sit on the back deck every evening at sunset and, you know, I'd see how they, they would change over time. And I saw the frost damage when it happened that May. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was such a setback. I mean, it was, it was devastating. And it totally changed the way I look at agriculture and the way that people have to make things work through, you know, I mean, these are huge acts of nature. Um, I'm so, so glad that this year seems to be better because I really feel like after two years of that, of, of really no, no harvest, we have something to look forward to, and so do so many North Carolina growers. So, um, but yeah, I, I I bonded with the vines during those times, and I'm extremely fond of them, and I like to see them change through the seasons. And I'm just glad that this particular year, you know, they're really coming. And it, like I call 2020 obviously in a like facetious way my trial by fire year. <laughs> and yeah, like let's just you know we all hated 2020, bad year, bad year for the vines, better years to come. But we are, we are actually looking at ways to prevent frost damage in the future. There's some interesting things happening in Europe, et cetera. The good news is for us is like the, the temperatures are not so extreme in terms of the frost levels we're trying to prevent. We only really have to deal with a few degrees Fahrenheit. Right. It's right. not like we're dealing with 15 degrees Fahrenheit drops. Mm -hmm. You know, we just have to keep it just above that level to keep them going. And, um, you know, there are some interesting new technologies, ways to address how your vines are, even the way they're sort of suspended on like wires that can keep them warm, for instance, that oh. kind of thing, thermostatically controlled systems. Um, so we're, we're looking at that and our vineyard manager is really interested. So kind of speaking of new technology in the future, that kind of segues into the next question is what do you think the future of North Carolina wine looks like in the state? I think it's looking bright. Me um, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we are part of this huge, like, inevitable movement towards this state being considered as a really major player in the wine industry. I couldn't agree more. You know, when I came here, admittedly, I had not had very many North Carolina wines. And it's been such an amazing journey discovering what this region can produce and the level of expertise of my colleague winemakers who are creative and thoughtful and really producing amazing things. And I think that I, I couldn't agree more. The future is really bright here. We were super excited when the Arcats that you're drinking got rated by James Suckling. Hmm. And that, for instance, it's exciting that James Suckling is getting North Carolina, wine, North Carolina wines sent for tastings because there was a time when this region was just not taken seriously enough right. for that. So when one of the most famous, most uh, well-promoted wine tasters in America is tasting NC wines and rating them publicly, you know, you know things are moving forward. Very good point. It's, it's a 90 mistake. point, actually. Right. Just there so you know, go. we got there 90 we go. points. So it's 90 <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it's 
fantastic wine. Oh, thank you. We're very proud. That's with having an off day that we only give it. I know. Well, that's what I thought. I, I mean, exactly, right? <laughs> so we're kind of winding up down on the questions. One of the things that we typically like to ask toward the end of the, the conversation is, what is it you want customers to know when they come here to Davos Day Vineyard? I would like customers to live their best life and enjoy themselves and be the best version of themselves when they're here. Like, that's really what I want. And it, I think wine helps them experience those things and our space helps them experience it. It's not that I don't want them to know about how passionate we are and how serious we are about wine. I want them to trust us so much that like everything we make is high quality, best possible standards, super passionate, excited winemaker on the task. You know, I want them to trust what we make so much that every bottle they open, they're like, this is going to be good. Whether they're sweet wine drinkers, which, you know, I personally am not, but we have a lot of sweet wine drinkers. Um, whether they're looking for an interesting European our cats, whether they're looking for something like a classic Chardonnay, whatever it is, I want them to experience what they like here and enjoy themselves and just, like I said, live their best lives. Yeah, and if I could add to that, I, I think from my perspective, I, you know, this is, this is a, a, an outdoor venue, right? People love to come here. It's beautiful. They can listen to music. But I don't want the wine necessarily to be second to that. I want the wine to live up to the environment that we have here. And so I want people to come, I, I want as many people to come here and say, the wine is great, oh, and it's beautiful. <laughs> as people say, it's beautiful and the wine is great. I want them both to go sort of hand in hand with each other. And, and I think that it's part of like the total experience of Davose is that it's not just a place to come and hang out and listen to some music. It's a place to come out, come, hang out, listen to some music, and drink some excellent wine. Yay. That is exact that is so well said. I totally agree with you. That's such a good point. Absolutely. And I think you've done a really great job of like expanding the outdoor areas where you can go sit, enjoy the wine, and then just be there in the presence of whatever you're enjoying your best life. Thank you. Well that's you know we're working on it. She's yeah. doing the wine. I'm doing the, you know, internet stuff. We've got a really good team in place. And I think, you know, that is as much uh, to talk about as anything else, is that our team really looks at things from different perspectives. And so we're able to really um, collaborate very well with each other. Caroline looks at things from a marketing perspective, and she's also got an amazing palette. And I look at things from a winemaking perspective, and our tasting room manager is, you know, thinking about the customer. When we all come together, it's it's just this great collaboration between us. So I do actually time. call it the dream team, and that's not a joke. <laughs> like, I'm like, hey, dream team. Like, that's basically, that's my nickname for, you know, I feel like the right people have come together at the right time. Well, as someone who has been visiting Davos Day since, probably 2008, 2009, um, I can definitely see the evolution and how things have progressively gotten better, both from the grounds and, and what's available outside and the folks that are in the tasting room that are running the show there and the wines. It's all getting better and better every time you visit. So um, it's, it's very noticeable. Oh, it's thank you. Noticeable. Well, cheers to that. Cheers, cheers to you. Yeah, that means a lot to us. And as we wind down, let's tell folks how to find you, like physically and on the internet, as you as you so eloquently put it earlier. We are on the internet, yes. Um, we are at 155 Lytton Farm Road in Troutman, North Carolina. We are north of Charlotte, um, just off the 77, exit 42, quite accessible from that road. And you can find us on our website, davisdayvineyards.com. We're also on the Instagrams and the Facebooks at Davis Day Vineyards. And um, occasionally we tweet, but not super often. I think we just tweet with you guys, basically. Probably you guys are our only you know, big conversations. Cause, but yeah, our, our Facebook and website um, have all of our events and things. So if you go to the calendar section of either of those, you can see what we have planned. Well, 
Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for sharing the story. Thanks for sharing wine. Oh. All of our future interviewees. This is a good hit. So uh, we like wine. So, you know, so thanks again. And it's really great to see all the passion and the um, effort that's going into making great wine here, making a great experience for your guests. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, and thank you very much. to us and drinking the wine with us. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Carolyn and Meg. We really enjoyed meeting both of them and like all of the improvements they're making at Dallas Day. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, Cork Only Talks. It's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free-run LLC production. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.